0: Hello everyone, I am Chris Hyams, CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next installment of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is March 22nd and we are on day 384 of Global Work From Home. And indeed our mission is to help people get jobs and this is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what keeps us up at night. And March is Women's History Month. And for Here to Help, we are speaking with people who care deeply about the issues and ideas that this month represents. Before we get into today's discussion, I would like to share a brief trigger warning. There will be some references to violence and racism in this session. We are talking today on Here to Help for the first time since last week, when we witnessed the latest and most horrific act of violence against the AAPI, or Asian American and Pacific Islander community here in the US. Over the past year, there have been more than 3,800 reported incidents of hate targeting people of AAPI descent. And we share in the profound grief pain, and anger over this tragedy, and stand with the AAPI community against xenophobia, racism, sexism, and all other forms of hate. Now, for today's conversation, I am delighted to be joined by Mary Bouifam, VP of Engineering for Strategy and Operations here at Indeed. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Chris, for... um inviting me to participate in the conversation. Um, I so appreciate the fact that we recognize, you know, this month as we do with all of the uh, other months to honor the differences in our company and in our society. So uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, let's start off where we always start with these discussions with uh, an honest question of how are you doing right now?
1: This is a tough one. Um, the last 12 months um, have been an emotional roller coaster. Uh, a You know, they're outside of just the anxiety and the fear and the stress of a global pandemic. There's so much happening. Some of it amazingly great, you know, um, not to travel. You and I've talked about the, the, the hardship of, of traveling, uh, being away from the family, so not having to travel and having to spend a lot of time getting to know our families, our family members, um, have a lot of time. That's fantastic. I think those are the good things. Um, there's so much division, um, and and the rhetoric and all of you know all of the craziness in the world. Um, personal losses and all of that. So, and with the, you know, there's a lot of anger, I guess there's a lot of sadness, a lot of frustration, um, but also a lot of hope, a lot of, of goodness. The ability for us to work from home is something we've never thought we would be able to. So there's a lot of good stuff there. So it's a super long answer to your short question. And then most recently, the rise in violence and hate against um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. It just, it's its crazy and you touch on xenophobia, but it's not us versus them, it's all of us. This is what makes this country amazing. So for me, it's, uh, I'm trying to Still feel all of the things that I feel, you know, the anger, the sadness, the frustration. But how do we have hope? Because I'm a very positive and hopeful person, and and, and you know my resolve to help. So it's all a mixed bag of a lot of things. Um, and again, very long, very long answer to your question. But um, it's just a crazy emotional roller coaster. Some days are fantastic and other days are super, super hard.
0: Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, we have, uh, uh, I think, a lot of great things to, to cover. Before we dive into your, your story and your, your background, which is um, I'm very excited to, to get into, uh, let's just talk very briefly about your role at Indeed and what you do to help people get jobs.
1: Uh, I'm on the uh, internal platforms team. Uh, we provide infrastructure, services, and products to, that support all of Indeed. So every team at in, in Indeed uh, to achieve our mission. As you said, we are here to help people get jobs. Uh, I have never worked for a company that truly live the company mission. So it's just, it's incredible every day. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, we make every decision and thinking of the job seeker first. It's so, it's unique and it's just delightful. Um, in internal platforms, one of the biggest transformation for us is customer centricity. Um, and and we, we have this kind of saying, this uh, almost our motto or our internal platforms mission is, we are successful only when our customers are successful. That's our obsession, to understand what is important to our internal customers, uh, what they want to achieve and help them get there to really reach the mission to help job seekers everywhere. So, you know, that's what we do. And I hope that that, that's that's my job every day is to help internal platforms get that, do that.
0: So uh, your, your background is interesting. Uh, a lot of folks in, in tech did not start out that way. You have uh, a PhD in chemical engineering um, and were in academia. So what, what led you from a life in academia to the path to Indeed?
1: Um, so uh, this is just kind of like a pattern in my life. I try to conquer my fears a little bit. You know, There are things that I do that, that uh, just for my, my own self to build my own confidence. So I was, uh, I almost drowned when I was eight years old. So when I got to college, I learned to swim and then I started swimming a lot and then I used to swim like a mile every day, you know? It's like, check, not afraid of water anymore. Um, and then I, for for most of my life, and this is for people who suffer from imposter syndrome, especially women, I didn't think that I I had what it takes to be you know a scientist, and so when I was an undergraduate student, I looked up at all of the grad students and thinking, oh, they're like they're geniuses, you know, they're so smart. And pretty soon, I'm part of the program. And I always tell people, getting a PhD is like. hanging out, you know, being on the, the bus, just hanging in there and then get off at your stop and then you'll get your PhD. Of course, I'm simplifying, but uh, that's the idea, persistence and, and uh, all of that. So my uh, background, my thesis was on computational modeling. So I'm very comfortable being around computer scientists and developing software. Um, and, um, and that's what started me. So You know, the life in academia and then going to, indeed, it seemed like a natural kind of transition. I was working when I was at uh, Sandia National Lab. I was working uh, on a collaboration with multiple institutions on a project that we were going to present to the the secretary of uh, the Department of Energy. And there are like probably more PhDs per square foot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> than, than than you will ever meet in your life, but uh, you know we're not great at pulling projects together, and so I just found myself in the position to kind of step up and you know get not just my piece in there, but how each of the pieces coordinate uh, together uh, to pull into that project. And so it was, uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but that's what project management, and that's what led me to um, working in industry. And then a friend of mine said, "Oh, stop working in uh, academia. You have to live on soft money." And for people who are not in academia, soft money is you're constantly writing grant proposals. You know, you're halfway through, and then you write on you. You ask for more money later on, Um, and so that's just natural for me to to move over. Um, Coming here uh, to the U.S., you know. Uh, As a a child of not knowing a lot of English, it's, uh, and then to be able to move from just, you know, being academia is one of the accepted, uh, I'll talk a little bit about my Asian culture, (laughs) being an accepted profession. There are only five or four or five. Uh, so, so, you know, I started out in one of the accepted profession, doctor, lawyer, you know, engineer, professor, things like that. Um, and then naturally moving to something that's very different and that's uh working for for industry. So it's strange different but it makes sense.
0: <laughs> when um when we were getting ready for this you you talked some about the inspiration from your parents' experience and and you know you just spoke right now about the idea of taking risks. There are so many people who are afraid of taking risks in their careers. Um, but you obviously, you know, have had this area, uh, this this inspiration to to take these leaps to overcome your fears. And can you talk a little about your 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 parents experiences and, and um, that inspiration for you?
1: Yeah. And I think talking about taking risks, um, my my parents took their five children from Vietnam. Um, we came from a fairly affluent, um, you know, environment to the US with nothing, literally nothing to our names. Um and so my um and that was a huge risk. We spoke French. There's not a lot I me mean, you know, there's not a lot of French here in this country. Um, my parents picked Louisville, Kentucky. It had a French sounding name, so they we're hoping that's how that's how much we knew about the US, okay? Uh, uh, and so we thought that they thought that oh, maybe it's an easier transition. Um, my father was administrator for the Louis Pasteur Institute, which is in, uh, in a very uh, famous research institute in in Vietnam. Um, but he came here and none of his credentials were, Accepted, so he became a stock clerk in a hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. My mother was uh, worked for the national bank. You know, never sewed in her life, and got a job as a seamstress. Um, but they took that risk, not speaking the language, coming here with the hopes of providing an education for their family. That's the one thing in our family that um, that n- doesn't change, I, and I hope will never change, which is. Education is not an option, you know. You just go through college and and um, and continue on. That's the job. So they took a lot of risk to bring our family over here, and that's the. Those are the examples I look for and kind of like form how I look at life. And and there's so much. There's a lot of. Uh, Probability of failure when you take big risk, but you know the rewards are also just unimaginable too. So, don't be afraid.
0: Well, so your 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 fearlessness and your determination. Uh, anyone who who knows you, those those things come through pretty clearly. I think the other thing anyone who who gets to know you um, is that you have this incredible passion for orchids. Um, and uh, would love to hear you talk a little bit about how, how that passion or obsession or whatever word you choose uh, developed and and why it's so important to you.
1: I don't think anybody would ever grow orchids, you know, obsession and orchids they are kind of go together. So you don't just grow orchid, you're obsessed by them. Um I've always been interested in plants and flowers, and really, I I gravitate toward the 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 weird and wonderful. The the stranger they are, the the more I'm attracted to them. But orchids, to me, and I link a lot of orchids to, to a lot of things in life. Maybe just to justify my orchid obsession, uh, but uh, but I do draw a lot of parallels to them. Or, orchids are the largest plant family, you know, with with uh, almost 25 to 30,000 natural species and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hybrids exist everywhere. So diverse so amazing and You don't always know what an orchid, you know, if a a flower is an orchid, that's how Diverse they are, you know, a rose is a rose is a rose is a rose and I love roses too I have a rose garden, but you look at a rose and you know, it's a rose when you look at an orchid You're not always sure that is this an orchid or is not an orchid and that diversity just attracts me. I think it's it's different, um, and really, it just leads to kind of again. It's back to how it 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 helps me grow as a person and thinking, looking at differences as as great as amazing. You know.
0: So um, your obsession in, in, includes uh, growing, obviously for for, for pleasure and, and for the beauty and the experience, but you also have, um, become, uh, competitive and, and, uh, won some awards, uh, for, for your orchids. And, and we were talking about this last week and I'm I'm fascinated by the whole competition piece because, you know, I, it's, I guess, sort of obvious to those of you in that, in that world, but orchids bloom for a very brief period of time and you can't, pick when they're gonna bloom. So when you're going into a competition, there's there's just some process of, of which of the things you're gonna bring. Can you talk a little bit about, about competition and, and this timing for the competition and a little bit about um, some of your your uh, your prizes that you've uh, accumulated?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little crazy. You know, uh, I think a lot of flowers and plants, I mean, there's competitions to everything. And for anybody who knows me, you know that I'm pretty competitive. Uh, but but orchid um, judging is like a whole different thing together. In order to be an orchid judge, it takes um, a minimum of six years, and it, it some people it takes ten years. I mean, for me, I, I do the quick math in my head. That's two PhDs back to back. You know, that's ten years to to really learn about uh, orchids, and and of course it's hard and and. Technical and all of that stuff, so naturally I, uh, I draw toward it. And um, you don't, just like people, you don't time. You know, you train all of your life. Uh, you know, I think of, of Olympians, you train all of your life for the two-week competition, right? And so it's the same thing with orchids. You grow them, you grow them, and you give them the best so that hopefully, in one of those flowerings would hit the right time for for the competition or for the judging um uh you know and and as judges we are trained to judge the flower for that moment that you see the flower you can't you can't say oh i'm going to give it an award for what it's going to look like tomorrow or what it was it probably was yesterday even though even though you know it in your head so it just A lot of work, a lot of preparation, a lot of care for that one moment that you hope that uh, it would perform to its fullest potential. And so, you know, you see a lot of parallels in that. Um, And I was, uh, I got the, I've grown orchids for a long time and I was just... Thinking about entering the judging program, and but you know, with the ten years, like the two PhDs back to back, I already had one. I don't want to know. I, I am. It just seems very daunting to enter another one. But I took my first orchid in for judging, um, and um, I received an award. It was a huge shock, and so I have this picture that I want to sh- to to share with everybody. Again, it's the weird and wonderful. Um, this is Coryanthes macrantha, and I know we have a picture there. It's uh, it's the common name is bucket orchid. Um, it's not everybody's cup of tea. I think I my entire family thinks I'm nuts for liking this type of orchids. Um, it's a little crazy. It's not all that attractive to me. It's the most beautiful thing. I'm completely obsessed with this genus, and the flowers only last three days. Three days. So. You know, can't tie. You can't time it. It's just the luck of the draw. So that's my first award. I took my plant in, just thinking, okay, maybe I, you know, just hear what the feedback is and all of that stuff. And I got an award. It was just uh, incredible. So then, almost literally that day, I signed up for the program. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I brought my second plant in, and I. This is uh, Stanhopea tigrina and I received the first-class certificate. And that is the highest award possible for orchids. Um, And, you know, I'm like, I've had this plant for 20 years. Um, It just grows in my greenhouse and it just bloomed really well. So I brought it in, it got the, the highest award ever. And all of the judges were just really kind of jealous because some of them have hundreds of awards and never got an FCC. So give it to the newbie, you know, to to, to get that. So just of fun. If
0: you like this interview and want to hear more, hit subscribe. Catch up on any Here to Help episodes you might've missed. Like my conversation with Muna Husseini and get new ones delivered directly to you more with Mary Buifam after this break. So I, I know that this is um, such an important part of your life that that clearly there are some lessons in there for your style and philosophy of leadership. How, how do you see your experience in um, the relationship with orchids as, as shaping how you are as a professional?
1: You know, I think when we, when we do things a lot, and if we pay attention, we can draw, we can draw lessons from everything. People have hobbies and different hobbies, uh, different things that they spend a lot of time doing. And it's just natural. That's uh, certainly for me, that's how my brain works is I draw a lot of lessons because orchids are living plants. So I, um, they teach me a lot, just like, you know, I am I, a parent. So parenting teach me a lot to how to be a, a, a good human being, a good leader. And um, I spent a lot of time with orchids. So over the years, they, I draw a lot of lessons from them. Um, and, and I talked about how diverse they are just that diversity requires you to really understand each plant that you bring into your collection and what it needs and all of that stuff. And so just, you know, apply that to our team members, our people, how how each person brings their own life experience and that makes them who they are, you know? And so if you get to know them, just like you get to know where the orchid's um, origin Is and you create that environment where they can thrive, and blossom, and just amaze you. And so that I see that a lot, Um, but it takes understanding. It it takes not just acceptance, but the welcoming. You know, and and so I for me it's there's no different. Uh, If if I want to be, it takes the same skills and the same understanding, the same kind of thinking to be a good orchid grower, to be to help people develop, it's just natural. And maybe that's just how weird my brain works, but for me, it's just like, of course, it's the same thing.
0: Yeah, no, and I also think that one of the key things, just from hearing you talk about um, the the bucket orchid, that there's something about uh, seeing beauty in weirdness that I think is really helpful when you're working with a diverse group of, of people, um, some of whom to the outside, maybe because of how they dress or their hair or other things might seem weird, but that there's there's beauty in that and being able to recognize that puts you in a position to be a different kind of leader. So
1: yeah, I mean it's just uh the weirder the better. The more different difference is fantastic. It's great. You yeah.
0: know? So you talked about one of the things that that um Drew you to indeed is the the mission, and that on your team you have you know a very clear mission of the customer centricity and how you're supporting teams within indeed. how do you foster that sense of purpose within your teams?
1: I think what I always try to focus on is uh where are we where are we going and so really helping the team understand. The, the goal and what we're trying to achieve and that's the most important thing you know um, and and not to micromanage that but but our job is to paint the picture and and that's that, that's what I always say just paint the picture for people and then let them go do their thing help them give them the skills and and I I, I believe in purpose you know autonomy mastery you just you just tell them where what you're trying to do and then give them the skill sets and that's and 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 just let them show you how to get there and it's i think that that is really the key there's because uh you know for me there's no way i'm gonna be smarter than the the expert in the, in the area. Right. So, but, but you can help share with them that vision, that inspiration, and then just let them show you how to do that. And I think that that's, that's why we focus on not just, uh, and, and for people who know me, they've heard me say this a lot of times, don't focus on just today's problem, focus on tomorrow's problem, focus on where we want to go. And then help us get there and that's really the true purpose the you know the ultimate purpose for indeed is to help people get jobs. The ultimate goal for internal platforms is how do you set up all of the teams to get there you know what are the things that we're doing to help our customers achieve their goals today and also two or three years from now They don't even know what they need but we should. And, that, and that's really what we're trying to help the teams understand. Like, where do we want to go?
0: So we, we've talked quite a bit before about over the past year, how the, the pandemic has exposed deep divisions that have existed in our society for centuries. Uh, I, I know that you care deeply about underrepresented communities and they're thriving at work as a root to connections in the broader community. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about that?
1: Well, the pandemic certainly has opposed the, exposed the deep division in, in our society. Uh, and I think the privileged people, I am one of those people. Uh, we're able to work from home, we're able to function, we're able to uh, continue to thrive and learn and grow in this environment. But there's a whole big part of society who are hurting and suffering. So it just, uh, you know, I, um, it just sharpened everything for me. And my chosen profession is technical engineering. You know, as a, as a woman in tech, my journey has been kind of lonely. Um, there are not a lot of us in, in engineering. So I'm, I'm, you know, my, my norm, norm it's normal for me to be the only one or, or um, the only woman in the room or one of maybe two, if I'm lucky. Um, and again, it's a, it's a lonely journey um i've never had a woman who took me by the hand and said you know mary you have a lot of potential let me help you get there never never happened everything that i uh have gathered and it's just trying to connect the dots from hearing and learning from 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 people uh around me and what i read and so it, I felt like my journey was hard. I'm not complaining it, it, that it's hard. It's, it's what makes me who I am. You know, it gives me a lot of, of uh, endurance, a lot of resilience and a lot of grit. And just like, I'm not fearful of hard work. That's just, you know, hard work is whatever. Um, but that journey doesn't have to be that hard for everybody. There's no brownie points in make things hard, right? In, in having a hard journey. So it, it, my own experience um, just drives me to be that champion, to help other women and underrepresented minorities. Because I've stood on shoulders of the people who've gone before me, who have suffered, who broke through and all of that stuff. And so it's a responsibility. And, and I take it very seriously. I, I don't feel that it's a privilege and it's a responsibility. And sometimes I say, uh, if you're a woman and you intentionally not help another woman, a virtual kitten dies somewhere. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. That's kind of uh, <laughs> morbid, but it's true. It's true, It's it, that, that just, you know, and who doesn't love virtual kittens? Um, so it's a responsibility. It's a heavy responsibility, yeah.
0: Well, I know one thing um, that you're very proud of is you've recently created a scholarship at your alma mater, the Jacobs School of Engineering at UC San Diego, specifically for underrepresented minorities. Can you talk a little bit about the reasons behind that?
1: It's a lifelong dream. Uh, I have been my entire family. We came here with nothing, you know, and... And that's why I say, you know, just touch on the xenophobia. It's it's us. There's no us versus them. It's all us, you know. I was I was a them and now I'm an us, right? So um and so when I when I think about that and I think about how our in our family education is it's just the thing you do. And that's how we got here. Um that's how I am where I am because of my education Uh, I truly believe that education is a great equalizer and similar to industry we see that underrepresented minorities drop out of school in their second or third year it's a very similar statistics Uh, and so as all of the hardship that I saw in 2020, um, I wanted to do something that would lift me up, you know? So selfishly, I wanted to lift myself up out of the madness of, of uh, the, the division that I saw and the sadness of 2020. And my husband and I have been talking about this, doing this forever. And so um, we created the scholarship for underrepresented minorities and and first-generation college-goer, student. Um, And there are different ways that you can support. The way that we chose to support is to help a student all the way through their career. And it's not just the scholarship, it's not just the funding, but it's I'll get to know them and we'll have a relationship and I say this, I've said this to you, you can't be what you can't see. I want them to see me and what they, and maybe be be inspired by what they see that, you know, they too can get there. They too can be great, greater than what I, I would ever hope to be. Uh, and that was the purpose. And uh, our first student will be selected this fall in 2021. I, I can't tell you how much it means to me. I don't, I, I'm sure it means something to the student, but I, I get so much joy out of it. I'm so looking forward to, to getting to know them all, one life at a time, one life at a time.
0: That's that's wonderful. Um, well, our, our time is coming to a close, and, and to, to wrap it up, I'd like to just very briefly have you, you know, look ahead and um, in particular in the context of, of the experience of the last year how has this changed your your perspective forever moving forward
1: I think it, it- uh, for all of us, right? I think we see possibilities when we didn't see before how video conferencing actually opens up the whole world for us because people don't have to travel. We can interact with each other. We can get to know people uh, through video conferencing. Uh, but it makes me realize that I miss human interactions. You know, I can't wait for that in person. Uh, I don't know when I'd be able to hug somebody again, but I just like to be in a room with people uh, will now be a cherished experience. I think, um, what it tells me is, uh, and, and, you know, with all of 2020, with personal losses and whatnot, um, life is precious. So, do what gives you joy. Surround people who give you joy. You know, and giving my permission to just be joyful and focus on that. Um, yeah. One one of the things that I also started a couple of years ago, I um, I sent out the MVP, and, you know, that's my initials, um, Friday Smiles, and I started out with a couple of silly orchids, and again, my goal is to get everybody addicted to orchids, uh, and then I usually include, you know, a couple of bullets that, of things that happen that week that make people just smile going into the weekends. Um, my last one was a couple of months ago because I just haven't had a lot to smile about, and especially recently with all of the violence and and everything uh, against um, against us, against you know me mm-hmm. uh, as an Asian American and Pacific Islanders. Um, it's sad, you know. And I couldn't get myself up to do that, and then. Um, but then I participated in the safe space that Vivian Nguyen and Clara Radaris, um organized last Friday for all of the, um, all of the people to talk about the, all of the violence and everything. And it gave me a lot of hope. It gave me a lot of hope that people are taking the space. So many allies on the call, you know, make space for their teammates, brothers and sisters to talk about things, um, to call out the violence, to share their feelings. As Asians, we don't do this a lot, you know? We, We keep our head down, we try to stay out of trouble. And so just having that space and see how many people were willing to be vulnerable and share their feelings and speak out and support give me a lot of hope. So maybe I'll do it this Friday and hoping that, you know, we'll make people smile.
0: Well, Mary, thank you so much for, um, sharing your experience and strength and hope and, um, Thank you for joining me for the conversation today. And thank you for everything that you do for Indeed and to help people all over the world get jobs.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: Thanks for listening to Here to Help. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download the podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Until next time.